Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast brought to you, as always, by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor since the mid-'80s, the last time the Celtics finished in the top two in the lottery. Find the best tickets for Round 3 NBA, Round 3 NHL, MLB, Hamilton, the Opera, whatever. I have SeatGeek on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way to shop for the best tickets thanks to their revolutionary grading system. Buy and sell tickets in just two taps on your phone. Two taps. Everything fully guaranteed. Try it out. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Larry Wilmore's new podcast, Black on the Air. Subscribe now. You can also subscribe to Cousin Sal's new podcast, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. He has Jimmy Kimmel coming on this week. And Cousin Sal and I, actually, we bet on the Lakers to finish with a top three pick yesterday because we just thought, you know what? There's no way the Lakers aren't getting into the top three, and there's no way they're losing their pick. So who knows? We're going to talk about that lottery with Mark Titus from The Ringer coming up right now. On the phone right now, the Ringers college basketball expert. We have a lot of college basketball experts, but this is this is out of everyone we have. Not only does he write columns about college basketball, but he is a big believer in the integrity of college basketball <laughs> as its own experience, and not just as a feeder system to the NBA. I, I, so you, I believe you must be conflicted. The, I believe in the amateur model for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know you're conflicted on lottery night because people are just being discussed that you watched for either one year or multiple years just as projections and oh right. put this guy here and put this guy there but you wrote a piece that I really liked at the beginning of March about Markel Fultz who it looks like he's going to be the number one pick for my beloved Celtics and your point was stop talking about this guy like he's this number one draft prospect enjoy the fact that he's just good at basketball right now what do you love about Fultz? Well, yeah, like he, Fultz fell victim to the Ben Simmons thing where like everyone was on the Ben Simmons bandwagon. And then as it turned out, his team was terrible and his coach was terrible. And as the season progressed, college basketball fans were like, stop shoving this down our throats. We don't care about what he's going to do at the next level and all that kind of stuff. And then Fultz was not Simmons. Fultz was very, like Simmons was very clearly just there because he had to be. And Fultz actually kind of wanted to be there. But it made it worse that Fultz was on like Fultz lost 13 straight games into the season, which is uh, you know not a not a good sign. And I'm sure people are going to make more of that than what they should. But um, he he like wanted to be there. He was trying to win. His team was just like obviously absolutely awful. Um, so I I like I, th- I forget when I wrote that article. I think it was March. Yeah, like towards the end of the season, I thought like why am I not hearing more about Markel Fultz? How can someone like me who watches college basketball more than anybody I know? How have I not heard his name this year when he's putting up just absolutely insane numbers? So I started watching a few games trying to actually understand what's going on. And um, I don't know. I, I love that he like he does something different every game. Like he he's not a scorer, he's not a rebounder, he's not an assist guy. He he had games where he shot like 10 threes in one game. He had games where he shot one. Uh he had games where he had one rebound and ten rebounds. Like he does he does a little bit of everything. Um that I'm not really sure to compare him to. Like I see James Harden as a comparison, but 
James Harden's left-handed, and I'm a big believer in the uh, you can't do cross-hand comparisons. You can't do a lefty to a righty. That just doesn't work. So, <laughs> but that's like that's probably the closest thing I'd say. Um, but yeah, I, I I would caution like if you're trying to be smarter than everyone else in your circle of friends and uh, have the hot take, and you you say that um, his team sucking is proof that he's not good. That's that's a bad take to have. That's wrong. That's very wrong. <laughs> yeah. So a couple things with him. One was it seemed like his knee was bothering him a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he ended up actually missing a few games near the end of the season. But his team was so bad, and his coach was so bad, that at the end of the year, even though they had the number one recruit in high school coming to Washington, having right. already committed to that coach, they fired the coach anyway. They were just like, you know what? <laughs> we, don't, we don't care where this number one recruit goes. We have to get rid of this coach. I guess like because this is this is a perpetual thing for Washington is they always had like the next recruit coming and then like the Washington just finally gave up. I mean Isaiah Thomas is proof of that too. Like the same code, Lorenzo Romar had Isaiah Thomas on his team and they never did anything notable. So this is just a right. perpetual thing for him. Um, yeah, I was I was uh, obviously rooting for the number one pick for my team just because <laughs> why not? But um, I really think out of all the guys that were in this draft. For the specific team that the Celtics have, this is the greatest possible guard prospect that could have dropped to them. But you're a Lonzo guy, right? Now, now that the Lakers, now that the Lakers are going to take him, or you're not a Lonzo guy? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I, I'm still a big Lonzo believer. Yeah. But Fultz is Fultz is at another level, and everyone I've talked to who knows anything about this stuff, and even like you know some of the people that work for the different teams, like they. There's just a higher ceiling for him, you know. He's especially when you look at a team like the Celtics, where you're going to have to draft somebody. You have a team that's one of the best four teams in the league um, that has a roster that's already established for next season. Yeah. And ideally, you want somebody. You know, your number one goal with having the number one pick is to have somebody who's going to be a superstar someday, which he qualifies for that. Your number two goal, if you're them, is to take somebody that can fit in with what you have now and make you better and maybe give right. you a better chance to win the title over the next two years. That's him. Because as you said, he can do everything. He's, he's malleable. He can be one day, one day he could just be the spot up shooter for threes. Another day he can run the offense. He can run the pick and roll. Um, he's a good defender. He can play both spots. He can play with Isaiah, which I think, right. You know, if they took Darren Fox, Darren Fox, weighs, he weighs what? 160 pounds. I don't think you could play him with Isaiah Thomas, but you could play Fultz with Isaiah Thomas. And I think that's why I don't think the Celts are trading down. I, th- I think you can't rule out anything with Ainge, but it just seems like this specific guy is so perfect for them. You just see him fitting in and getting the Rogier minutes, playing three guards with him and Bradley and Isaiah. I can just see it. I can see him playing 25 minutes a game next year for them. I think it's interesting how how people talk about like these these guys that are going to go in the lottery or like the, certainly the top five guys and whether they can make an immediate impact. And it's always framed like an immediate impact means stepping in on day one and and just putting up double doubles and just dunking on people and all that kind of stuff. And like Fultz is a guy, like you said, he's going to make an immediate impact. It's just that like it's not going to be 
it might not be like what LeBron did when when his first game in Sacramento. I remember that um, when he just like went off, and you're like, okay, this guy is a real deal. This is amazing. This is awesome. Um, it doesn't have to be that. Like you can, Fultz can go to a great team, like you said, just kind of may, maybe plays off the ball a little bit. Maybe he does have the ball in his hands. I don't really know, but Stevens will figure out something with him, and and he will he will still have an impact. It just might not be what like people who want instant gratification and want this guy to be like a, an all star in his first year. They might be a little disappointed, but otherwise, you know, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be fine. Well, worst case scenario, you know, it, let's say he played Rogier's minutes and maybe grabbed a couple of minutes from Smart, three guard stuff like that. He, you know, he can spread the floor because he can shoot. You know, he's a very, very, very good athlete. You know, you can run pick and rolls with him right away, and he's just gonna fit in. And and I don't think he's like one of those. Like, I, I was thinking in my head comparing it to other guards that have come in, like that were top three picks, top five picks, whatever. Like let's say they let's say they're drafting Derrick Rose the year Derrick Rose came out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. That's somebody they'd really have trouble fitting in, right? Because right? it's right. like that Derrick Rose is like, I need the ball, get out of my way. I'm used to having the ball all the time. You could you'd have a lot of trouble playing him with the team they have. And if you go down go down the line like D'Angelo Russell. You know, you go down the line, it's 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 pretty rare to find a guard who can just kind of be like, hey, cool, man, where do you want me to play? All right, yeah, I'll play here, cool. All right, I'll stand over here. And that's what he can do. And I also think, like, to put up 23-6-6 and six or whatever he did in 40-minute games in college, is just there's that, that shows a consistency that I think you need when you when you get to the pros. So I'm on yeah. board. Let's I mean, that cuts that cuts both ways with like the stat thing because I see, I see a lot of people say the only reason he put up huge stats is because he was the only guy on his team and he had to do everything and all that. But the flip side of that is you go into every Washington game, you could pretty much throw five guys on Fultz and still win the game and just say like, I'm, I'm daring these other guys to beat us. And he knew that going into every game. Um, I I don't know. Like you watch him. The one thing that jumps out to me about him and and why I think I loved him so much is just. The way he changes pace, he's got that so figured out, and he's so smart about that. And, and and when you watch as much college basketball as I do, you see so many young guys who are quick or more athletic, and they think they just got to go 100 miles an hour at all times, and that's their advantage. Is like, I'm just faster than everybody. And Fultz can change the pace. He's got like hesitation moves and little spin moves, and it, it looks kind of sloppy at first and unorthodox, and then you start to understand what he's doing, and you're like, this guy is ahead of his years. You know, like he's he's smarter than than I think most people would realize. So, And he also, not to turn this into a, a giant false orgasm podcast, but <laughs> he also, he, he's, he's fucking great at making 19-footers, you know? And I, and I think as yeah. we watch basketball evolve and everybody's just trying to shoot threes or get to the line and everybody's playing high screens with four guys spotted around, that shot is open now. And you saw it happen yeah. with the in the Houston series. San Antonio was just like, we're giving you the shot. And when you have, you know, I think that's why Avery Bradley's been so valuable for the Celtics because that shot's open when you play the Celtics. And Avery Bradley just takes it and makes it. So I think Fultz is going to be, uh, I think he's going to be spectacular because he just is the type of guard that you need with how everyone plays basketball now. I still wonder, just because, Danny Ainge will trade anyone at any time, has no loyalty That's, to anything, doesn't care what people think. I still wonder if it makes sense for Philly to try to move up to one. 
I was going to ask you, is this, is this a is this a done deal that that Boston is taking Fultz, or are we just looking too far ahead here? I know that uh, I know that they've you know really really liked him all season, but I also yeah. know that they're going to turn it into whatever the best asset it can be. So if I don't know if Philly goes to them and says we'll give you number three, and we'll also give you this 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 and this to flip spots with us. It's pretty, it's pretty, this is a great draft. Like I'm pretty sure the Celtics could talk themselves into Josh Jackson at number three. So, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to rule anything out. The one thing I wouldn't do if I was them, cause I got this question a lot yesterday was, would you flip the pick for Jimmy Butler or Paul George? I just wouldn't do it because you're paying those guys like $20 million a year, maybe even more. Whereas like fault to have somebody who's this good, under contract for like $4 million a year, you know, I think that's the best asset you can have. If you have a guaranteed guy who can give you production and you're not paying him anything, I'd much rather have that. And, you know, I don't do – would Paul George really make the difference for them short-term in the next two years with LeBron playing this way? I don't think he would. Yeah. So that's why I would keep – so let's talk about Lonzo. All right. I, uh, I you know – I was on the bandwagon all year. I did yeah. not like the, the I did not like the tournament game against Fox. I thought no. I don't know what the hell happened to him in that game. He, here's what it's one thing to have a bad game. It's one thing to just say, "Oh man, he just didn't have it tonight." He was scared to bring the ball up against Fox. Explain that to me. I I can't. So this is going to sound like a retroactive. Um, of of course you said that. It's convenient that that you can say this now that that you watched him kind of lay an egg in the tournament. But all season long, my my complaint or my fear. I'm not really sure what the right word is. Um, with with Lonzo was that he never really had adversity. He never really had. It was never really hard for him. And I guess that's like a good thing. Like he's so good that he never has to you know worry about having a bad game or whatever. But I was I was worried that like what what happens when when things are going south when everything's going to hell and all that kind of stuff like how does he respond because he just seems so casual about it all like he's just out there just kind of doing his thing whatever uh, oh we're 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 losing when late in the game I'm just gonna hit a step back three and it'll go in and it'll be fine I got this under control um, but from the start of that Kentucky game he did not have it under control and and I and that was like kind of a game I was hoping he would say okay we don't have it. I'm I'm kind of not on my game tonight. Our team's not on our game tonight, but I'm still going to dig deep and find a way to maybe not win, but just like kind of have that competitive spirit. And yeah, that was that was really disappointing. Um, I I, I don't want to read too much into it. Uh, I already sound like I'm 80 years old because I I like college basketball so much. So I'm trying not to like <laughs> these kids don't play hard enough and and do all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, it is sort of concerning. Like that was a matchup against De'Aaron Fox. Everyone was watching. It wasn't just an individual thing either. Like even like NBA fans were into the individual thing, but college fans were were in, were knew that those were two of the best teams in the country, and and that was a huge huge game. And you know just just to see him lay an egg was disappointing. I don't know. Yeah, and it 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 went just beyond laying an egg. It was somebody that had played better than him the last time they played. Somebody who played yeah. in the same position. <laughs> somebody who was a potential top five lottery pick. And somebody who clearly was going to go into that game saying, I think I'm better than Lonzo Ball. I'm going to show it tonight. So that that's and, why I was so surprised that Lonzo didn't play well because it's like, it's almost like going into a UFC main event. 
you're like climbing into the octagon with Fox, and you you know it's coming. You know he's going to be relentless. You know he's going to track you the whole way up the court. You know he's going to try to push the ball every time on you. And Lonzo just seemed completely unprepared. And that's what worried me about that game. And if you're someone who loves to make too much of the stuff, um, Lonzo like declaring for the draft as soon as the horn sounded was was not a good look. Um, and especially especially when two nights later, when De'Aaron Fox they lost to North Carolina, he was like bawling his eyes out in the locker room and talking about how badly he wanted to go to the Final Four. I love both of those guys. I love how hard Fox, Fox was. Somebody that the first few times I watched Kentucky, I remember I was emailing you. I was like, why the hell don't they turn the ball over to Monk? Why are they so enamored with this Fox? Yeah. He can't shoot. And then the more I watched him, I was like, holy shit, I'm dead wrong. This guy, this guy is like, I love he's Fox. A gamer. Yeah, I, he's just such a good athlete. It, the knock on him is good. He's going to get knocked for two things: that his shot's a little ugly and maybe isn't totally reliable, which is a hundred percent fixable, and that he's too skinny. I mean, he's probably what one hundred fifty-five, hundred sixty pounds. But people will say. What happens at the next level when he's going against these monsters like Westbrook and people like that? Yeah, I just think, I just think that guy's a scrapper, and and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, phenomenal. He, which is he, what you need yeah. to see. Yeah, he reminds me of. Uh, I would say since we're doing comparisons, are always hot this time of year. Um, Mike Conley, John Wall, little mix between the two. Like John Wall was the big thing yeah. because he played at Kentucky and he was fast and. And all that kind of stuff, and pushes the tempo, and and just like an unbelievable athlete. But he he reminds me of Conley a little bit too. I talked to Mike about him. Like Mike, Mike loves him. Just kind of how he's, yeah. he, Mike, Mike Conley didn't have a jump shot heading into the NBA. Um, I talked to Mike right. about that too, where he's just like, he's like, yeah, everyone doubted my jump shot. Now now Mike doesn't miss. Like he's actually a good three point shooter. Um, so yeah, that's something that's fixable. He, I don't know. I I I would honestly I would consider Fox at three. Like I think Fox is. I would consider Fox at two. Hell, I don't know. Like he's, he, he as far as like the competitive spirit and all that kind of stuff. Like I, I that stuff matters to me still. Um, I still care that he was crying when he lost, and and um, maybe maybe that's the Adam Morrison fan in me that I that I like guys who cry when they lose. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, like he's he, he's got all the tools. He just can't shoot. But you know, like he'll he'll fix that. You're preaching in the choir on that stuff. And the more, the older I get and the more I try to figure out who's going to be good and who's not going to be good, I really do think like that extra level of passion and emotion and competitiveness really does matter. And there's some rare exceptions, right? Like Harden at Arizona State, the big knock on him was he doesn't care. He doesn't have enough passion. He disappears too easily, things like that. And he his career went like that for a couple of years, and then I think OKC trading him was probably the greatest thing that ever could have happened to him. Because yeah. on OKC, he just could float in and out of the games depending on whether they needed him or not. Then they then OKC said, "We're trading you. We don't think you're a max guy." Although yeah. that game six so, doesn't really do much to disprove that. Uh, <laughs> that well, there you go. I mean, I, would, yeah. I don't know if Fox. I, and I feel the same way about Monk, and that's why, like, uh, my dream scenario potentially is Sacramento's got five and ten. I just keep thinking it would be so much fun for Fox and Monk to be in the same team because those guys clearly loved each other. Like you could yeah. see it in that in that video. Yeah, and it's like, man, if you had Fox and Monk and Buddy Heald, I, I don't know. I, I that would actually be a fun team. I would want to watch that team. 
But uh, back to back to Lonzo. Um, yeah. I'm not sold. The Lakers are taking him at two. I'm just not. I, really? I, I don't. I, I I don't know. I think there's some. I think there's some red flags. I think the way he his season ended, as you said, just declaring immediately after. Like, how did his? If you're on his team. How do you feel about that? He's lost right. in Kentucky on a Friday night in front of everybody. He thought you're going to win the title. The game's over for three minutes, and Lonzo's like, "Hey, I'm going pro. All right, guys, see you later." I don't know. I didn't. It didn't sit right with me. It's hard. It's hard to distance him from his dad too, um, because if you if you like followed Lonzo all year, I I honestly God, I don't even think I know what Lonzo Ball's voice sounds like. I don't think I've ever heard an interview him do an interview. I don't know. I don't know his opinion on anything. You just hear his dad all the time, and then you kind of you kind of put his dad. You kind of lump them together as though they're the same person, and whatever flaws his dad has, you 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 know you project onto Lonzo and all that kind of stuff. So that's that to me is like. Um, interesting as well because some of the negative stuff I, I wonder is it like am I reading too much into what LeVar is saying like is this do, do I not like Lonzo because his dad's an idiot or do I not like Lonzo because he's got a funky looking jump shot and he and he never really had like an intense drive on the court he just kind of went through the motions and all that kind of stuff well you we've seen this happen before when it comes too easy to guys during the formative years of their career sometimes they kind of settle into that I and mean, I think you know, you were you were close friends with Greg Oden. I think that was one of his, obviously his body breaking down was the number one issue with him. But he uh, the game came so easy to him for so long that he didn't he didn't have that that fox kind of yeah that I oh I have to prove it I have to prove it every night Gene because he never needed to have it and that's what when he in the national title game which was the best game he ever played at Ohio State. That was the first time where I was like, wow, the Odin's playing like his life depends on this game. If he plays like this, he has to be the number one pick. Yeah. But I, I wonder about that with Lonzo where, you know, it comes easy to him. He's got a huge bullseye on his, on his back. People are going to be rooting against him because of his dad. He's the type of guy that if he's on the wrong team, it could actually go wrong. You know, oh, yeah. I think he's got he's to be on, explain that part of it, how he has to be on like a sophisticated well, IQ team almost. Well, part of part of what made him so intoxicating, and he that that would be the best word to describe him to college basketball fans, because when you, you watch so much college basketball and it's uh, up uh, thirty five second shot clock for so long, they, they just switch it to thirty, but it's still like plotting, walk the ball up the floor, kind of physical, boring to to NBA fans kind of stuff. And then you get a team like UCLA last year who just runs and guns. They have everybody can shoot threes. They have multiple NBA big guys. Um, and and he just surrounded he he basically surrounded himself with NBA players and they ran an NBA offense and um that that was part of what made it so intoxicating is like you're watching this you're like holy hell we haven't seen this in college basketball in years this is amazing this guy must be unbelievable but then you kind of step back and you're like well it helps that he's got TJ Leaf and um he's got like Bryce Alford who's not an NBA player but he's he's a knockdown three point shooter to to throw to he's got these 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 experienced wings um that that he can pass to so. He had like the perfect situation to for his skills at UCLA. Now, to the the flip side is like he has a ton of skill, and he 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 was part of the reason they were so good. Was like he could see the floor, he'd push the tempo, he he controlled the offense, that kind of stuff. But but yeah, you you wonder, and, and that's the thing with like a lot of guys that come into the NBA, and I think like most fans don't realize, um, or maybe they do, they just don't care. 
that just because you're you, the fit still matters. Like just because you're the best player doesn't mean that you're going to be the best player in college, like or in the NBA. Um, where you go, what team you go to matters, and like what the situation is matters, and you can't just take like any guy and just throw him on any team and, and assume that he would have the same success. Like if, if Carl Towns went to to Philly instead of if like him and Okafor were flipped that year, um, cause that was kind of sort of a debate. Maybe they have, they both have different careers. Like I'm sure Towns would have been better than Okafor, but like that st- stuff sort of matters, you know? Yeah. And I think Okafor is probably, that's the not a great example. example. I know, but I'm just, no, no, no. You know. I no, I think it's a great example because he went to the worst possible team. You know, if yeah. if you play Okafor's first two years over again with, but he lands on five different teams, I, I guarantee this Philly experience was the worst they could have gone for him. He doesn't have yeah. a point guard. He's playing with seven other big guys. But, um, yeah, I think that the reason that I still believe in Lonzo and I'm trying, you know, as much as I like some of the other guys in this draft, Lonzo's the one guy that there's, I always use the word contagious. Something yeah. about the way he plays makes the other guys kind of start playing that way. And there's been very few guys who could have that kind of impact on their teammates where all of a sudden everybody else is looking up and everybody else is looking for the next pass and that extra pass. And, oh, I see that guy under the basket. I'm going to find him. Something about very, what he does, it, yeah. it just kind of infects the other guys in a really good way. And that's why, like... You know, if if the Lakers do take him, I think they have to trade Russell. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see how that works. I would just hand the car keys to Lonzo and try to put people around him that could be, you know, kind of have similar DNA to him. Like, I, if I was the king, would you trade the number ten pick if you're the Kings for Russell? Do you still believe in Russell? Because you liked him in college. So the Ohio State. Alum in me says I have to believe in Russell. Um, I I'll be honest. I haven't I haven't watched a ton of Lakers. Believe it or not, um, the Lakers aren't really moving the needle for college basketball fans right now. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I still think D'Angelo's got great. Like he, he, in a weird way, like he kind of sort of reminds like he his ceiling to me is what Fultz is, and I know that sounds absolutely insane, but like. He kind of had that feel in college, like he was Fultz. So I'm not really sure what what the what's wrong, what's going wrong. If he's he's also like a little, maybe a little too into the LA lifestyle, so it might be good for him to kind of get out of LA and end up in Sacramento. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good for him. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, quick break. I want to talk about Delta, my favorite airline. It really is. I love Delta, and one of the reasons I love Delta is Delta Studio, which offers every type of entertainment for every passenger for free. Delta Studio grants you access to over 1,000 hours of entertainment all from your seat back or your own device. 100% free podcast games, TV shows, up to 300 movies, access to HBO, Showtime, 18 channels of live satellite TV on select flights, where you can listen to your favorite artists with Delta Studio's expansive music library. Delta is also partnered with the likes of HDTV, Refinery29, Food Network, Cool Originals, and more. I'll offer you great content. It's all streamable on your laptop, iPhone, iPad, or Android tablet device via the GoGo Entertainment app. Oh, yeah, GoGo. Buckle up, relax, delve into another world as you soar above your own with endless entertainment from Delta Studio. Your journey is sure to fly by. Check out that Delta has a great app, too, if you ever fly on Delta. I, I'm a big fan of the Delta app. It's one of the best ones. 
since we're here, let's also talk about my friends at Harry's.com. I use their razors. They sent me some. I think it's been almost two years since I started using Harry's. They, they saved my life. I used to get terrible shaving cuts. I do not get shaving cuts anymore. I have a clean, happy face. If you're not using their state-of-the-art German-engineered razors, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I don't know why you'd go to the drugstore and just buy generic company razors when you get Harris. Harris is the best. On Harris.com right now, my listeners can get themselves a free trial set that includes a weighted ergonomical handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a trade travel blade cover. And guess what? Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades. They want you to try their shave set for free. You heard that right? For free. Just cover a $3 shipping fee when you sign up. That's it. It's a $13 value for you to try a special offer for fans of the BS podcast. Here's what you do. Go to harrys.com slash BS. That's it. Right now. Go to harrys.com slash BS. Right now. And redeem your free trial set. Just cover that free shipping again. Harrys.com slash BS. Back to Mark Titus. So we're going to call this part of the podcast. Are we sure Lonzo Ball's going second? Josh Jackson's really, really good at basketball. And I think if you're just ranking who are the shortest bets in this draft, if you had to bet your life on it, which guys will make an all-star team, I think Josh Jackson has to be number two on that list. Am I right? Did you I would put anyone say, over him? Yeah, I would say yes because I love defense and athleticism. Um, in that, I love that because um, it doesn't go away. Like if you're a great defender and if you're six eight and a freak athlete, I mean, it goes away when you get older, obviously. But like every single night, he's going to be that, and he he kind of knows what he is, and. Um, yeah, so I, I would say that, but I, I I'm terrible at this stuff. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, but you watched all these guys, like a lot of people, like like O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer. He loves Jason Tatum, and I think there's real reasons to love Jason Tatum because that's somebody, you know, comparison sometimes is tough. Like I don't really know who to ca- compare Darren Fox to because um, there's really nobody like there hasn't been like a freak lefty athlete that played point guard who's skinny like him, but super competitive. There's just nobody like that, but you can kind of pigeonhole him in these certain things and be like, well, you know, his speed and athleticism is on, maybe on the level of wall. Not quite what, it doesn't have the strength of Westbrook, but we've seen guys with DNA like that make it. With Tatum, it's just like, he's Danny Granger. He's, he's just, yeah. a, he has a chance to be a better version of Danny Granger. I've seen Tatum before, and I know that's going to work. I know that model works in the pros. He's going to be able to play the two, three, or four. And I just get it with him. So I would say he, him and Jackson would be two or three. I don't, that doesn't mean they should go second or third, but you just know what they are, you know? And like you said with Jackson, like you, if you have athleticism and defense and you can shoot, that's it. Yeah. You're just going to be a reliable bet every night. Right. Night. The the one thing I'd I'd worry about Tatum is uh, the Duke DNA. Um, the the one. What what does it mean that the the one guy who has been a a, a great one and done and and Mike since since the one and done era that Coach K has started playing the one and done game, the one successful 
undeniably successful one and done guy is Kyrie Irving, and he didn't really actually play for Duke. So played ten games. Connect the dots. By the way, by the way, Kyrie Irving not successful until LeBron showed up. That's true. Yeah, he was there for three years, and it was uh, it was a clusterfuck. And it wasn't really until LeBron showed up that all of a sudden he wasn't. You know, he was headed down the Steve Francis, Stephon Marbury path that uh, that I think LeBron probably saved him. Who's your favorite at a like the top seven? It seems to be in some order. Probably is uh, probably Fultz first, Lonzo second. Jackson, Tatum, and Fox, Monk, Jonathan Isaac, and then Dennis Smith. Yeah. Seems to be the top yeah. eight in some order. Is there anybody you love out of that top eight that you feel like is being underrated? I I mean, I guess I would have said Fox like a month ago, but I think people are starting to like jump on the Fox. I still I think Monk maybe. Like Monk Monk was really hot for a little while and then Fox kind of stole the shine. Um f- f- Monk was I don't know. Like I, I was at the game in in Vegas when Monk had forty seven on North Carolina and was just yeah. Like it, that was that was a, there were unbelievable athletes on that floor that night. There were unbelievable length, size. Like that was in, that, that felt like an NBA game. The pace of it, all that kind of stuff. And he just was nonstop. Just like was at, at no point in that game did it feel like he was not going to be an NBA All Star. And I know it's because he was making shots, but it was also just like the way he carried himself and the way he. Um, I don't know, like he the, the balls he had, like he took the the game winner was an absolutely terrible shot, and he just took it and knew it was going in, and that's kind of how he played all year. And I guess like that's the knock on him is that he's definitely a guy that you could stop the game in the middle of the game and ask him what the score is, and he'd be like, I have no idea, but I I have seventeen. That's what I know. <laughs> right. Oh. Uh, so I guess like maybe maybe that's not great, but um I don't know, like the monk bandwagon was was full steam ahead in like December and January. And then as Fox started to develop, um, I don't know, like the, the monk thing started to to slow down. So maybe, maybe I'll, I'll get that going again. Let's get back on the monk bandwagon. Well, the problem for him is, and it's a college basketball problem and it's an AAU problem. You know, the point guard has the ball so much and determines so much yeah. of what's happening. And the offenses are so bad that we end up fixating on the point guard and whoever the rebounders slash, low post guy slash shot blocker is. And those are the two right. guys that stand out and there's just no other way. And when I watched Kentucky and one of the reasons I really liked Monk so much was that I just felt like if they had turned the offense over to him, if Fox just didn't exist, he could have run the offense and been their lead creator slash playmaker. And they, you know, they might've even been better. We'll never know. Um, but I, I think yeah. you can run the offense through him. Yeah, you could. He, he's not a, he's not a great ball handler, but um, I think, his his shot and he does have great instincts and and obviously his he's got unlimited range and all that kind of stuff and it, it's sort of having those two things together kind of make up for his his lack of and he's not like a bad ball handler he's just not someone who's like right. going to cross guys up and that kind of stuff but yeah but you could yeah. still with the the spacing that he's going to create with his shot and yeah you right. run him around screens and there's ways to revolve an offense around him that could be make him really dangerous you know especially in the NBA when you have a little like what Washington was doing with Bradley Beal in the Boston series where, you know, you're just running him off pick after pick after pick and yeah. dance and, and slip offs and you're doing that just nonstop and the defenders start wearing down and all Monk needs is like, you know, one one second. There's some Dennis some Dennis Smith buzz 
the the knock on him was that um, other than that, his team was terrible. That you know he'd hurt his knee, maybe he wasn't 100 percent back, and then apparently in these workouts in the Orlando, he's been doing great. Did you did you watch him? Any thoughts on no. him? Because he's the one that might jump. I'm proud. To, I'm proud to say I didn't watch Dennis Smith this year. <laughs> I'm proud. Every every college basketball fan listening to this is just nodding and saying yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm proud. It was like a it was like a personal boycott of mine. I think to just like a part of me was like, should I watch it? Should I watch NC State to kind of get a feel for Dennis Smith? And then you would you would just see the scores, the headlines, the all that kind of stuff going on at State. No, no. So so we both think Fox could go to three at Philly. I don't yeah. I don't think that's inconceivable. He could be a top three pick. I'm I'm with you on that one. All right, last thing, because we've never we've talked about doing this on the podcast, but we've never actually done it. You played AAU ball with Gordon Hayward, and you've known Gordon <laughs> Hayward forever. He when did you meet Gordon Hayward? Uh, for no, I played high school with Gordon. Um, we went to the same high school. Yeah, he was two years younger than me. Um, so I I don't even really remember. I mean, like when I, I was just like kind of grew up. Like I didn't really grow up with him because he was younger than me, and I was. I was awesome and cool and he was a nerd and he was younger. So, you know, you kind of pick on him a little bit, but, um, no, like I, I, I wouldn't say like I hung out with him, but like, yeah, we, we played growing up together a little bit. And he was shorter for a while, right? Like he had, he was one of those late growth for guys. Yeah, he was, uh, so when I was a senior, he was a sophomore. He played a little JV, a little varsity. Um, and he was probably five eleven, six foot, six one, maybe something like that. Um, yeah, weight, weight 150 pounds. And then two years later, I'm at Ohio State and I'm talking to my dad and, and my dad's like, yeah, I go to all the high school games. I'm like, really? Why why do you do that? Like, there, aren't there better things to do? And he's like, well, you know, Gordon is 6'8 now and dunking on people. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> How did that happen? Where was that when I was his teammate? So, uh, yeah, he was definitely a late bloober. You think that there's a legit connection with him and Brad Stevens? Explain that part. So the story there is Hayward's parents have, um, I, I, I think they still do. Maybe I don't quote me on this one, but when he was playing at Butler, they, they had Purdue season tickets. Um, they were Purdue people. They went to all the Purdue games when, when we were in high school. And then even when Gordon was on Butler playing for, for Butler, they would still had Purdue season tickets. And that's noteworthy because Purdue offered Gordon a scholarship. He was, he could have gone to Purdue and played at Purdue, with like, by the way, um, I know you don't care about this, but other people that are listening might. Th- that would have been like the the Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, Juwan Johnson years at Purdue. Win. I resent that. Why don't I care about that? I don't <laughs> the Purdue team. How dare you? <laughs> so yeah, like that Purdue team was insane, and they could have had Gordon Hayward on top of that. Um, but he chose Butler because Brad Stevens was basically like the first guy who saw something in him and offered him, and and kind of recruited him early and all that kind of stuff. And he was just like loyal to Stevens, and he loves Stevens. And 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 you know, like that's not that's not something that just Hayward feels towards Stevens. I mean, like everybody who interacts with him loves Stevens. I've I can't tell this story enough, Bill. That Stevens was I was on the very first team that Stevens ever coached. So I sort of feel a connection to him when he was 22 years old, um, a, a volunteer assistant, I think at Butler, he was coaching third graders on the side as like a side gig. And I was one of those third graders. So that's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah so, so I still, still have that loyalty to Stevens. Yeah. Now there he's battling go. LeBron. So your theory here is that Gordon Hayward, once upon a time, bouncing around between JV and varsity, grows a little bit, makes his makes the team junior year. Only Brad Stevens sees something in him. Only Brad Stevens, yeah. Love to him, offers him a scholarship. Then Gordon Hayward has this dramatic growth spurt. Now he's now he's 
the best player in Indiana. He can go anywhere he wants. His family's Purdue. They have Purdue season tickets. Purdue comes around late. They say, hey, man, hey, sorry we're late to the party, but we'd love to give you a scholarship. And Gordon Hayward says, I'm good. I'm going with the first person who ever believed in me. I'm Not going with Yeah. Yeah. So why so, doesn't this lead to hit them reuniting this summer? I, I I don't know. I can't answer that. Maybe I, we will see. I don't know. Yeah, because that's why I I really feel like there's a chance. I hope so. Boston needs a break. Boston's Boston sports fans need something to finally go your way. <laughs> I mean, if you just, Gordon Hayward, if you just gave Gordon Hayward off Jay Crowder's minutes, we're like eight eight wins better. Just off the bat, maybe Ted, Jay Crowder. Did your dad? Did did was he always like? Did he fixate on one guy who drove him crazy when he watched basketball? Because oh, my yeah, dad, yeah. Is Jay, Jay Crowder. Yeah, yeah. Jay Crowder drives my dad crazy. Can I just say before we go that that the Celtics winning the the lottery is just is sort of my worst nightmare, only in the sense that. I, I am I am receiving secondhand homerism from you for this that like people are are talking to me about the Celtics and and what it, like as though I'm a one that I'm a Celtics fan or two like what does this mean for Simmons and like and I'm and I just want to say I do not care I don't care <laughs> I don't really care about the NBA that much um, I certainly don't care about the Celtics winning and I do find it amazing that the Celtics went number one the Lakers went number two and um. This is so obviously rigged. It hurts, but you know, I I love I love that you're that you're gonna find a way to say that like it was rigged for the Lakers, but not the Celtics. By the way, I I, I have to say that too. I watched the 15 minute uh, ping pong thing because it was online last night, <laughs> trying to figure out if there's any way they could have rigged it. Because the Celtics winning balls were seven, one, nine, and ten. So I was like, all right, now if. Those four balls come up again in a slightly different order, and it's the Lakers when they're something fishy. But then the Celtics won it the second time and the third time, and then the Lakers won the fourth time, and the combinations were different. I just, first of all, I, so, I think it's like massively illegal if they rigged it. But for me, it was always more of just like, this is what happens to the Lakers. Like they're like the, yeah. you know, the family in your neighborhood that just keeps getting breaks and. Anytime they start hitting adversity, something good happens. It's just what what's been going on with them for seventy years. So that's why I, mean, I thought they're they're going to win it. If, if you were going to rig it, it would look exactly like it ended up. Though is all I'll say. It would be the Celtics one and the Lakers two. So so Ball could go to L.A. and and his dad could be out there doing that thing, and they can get that going. And the Celtics can get the number one pick, add it to the Eastern Conference final team. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying. I'm just hey, saying. listen. I I certainly can't refute any of it. You would have. You the only thing I would say is you probably would have given the Knicks the third pick if you're really going. That's true. All That's very true. That's you would true. have had Celtics, Lakers, then the Knicks. And I'll also say when people come up to you and ask you about me and the Celtics, I think you should tell them the story about how I'm kind of your Brad Stevens. I was the first well, person who believed in Mark Titus. That's, that's a good point. point. I saw something in that gangly kid before his big growth spurt. I'm offering you a scholarship. <laughs> That's an excellent point. That's a great point. Uh, so. Hey, we should mention you wrote about Draymond Green for the Ringer today. I did. I I wrote about the Draymond Green. I wrote about this idea that um you can find the next Draymond Green. That uh, you know, the Warriors have changed how basketball is played, and 
a lot of that's because you have two of the best shooters of all time, but also because Draymond Green can guard any position and all that kind of stuff. So there's this idea that teams just need to find the next Draymond Green, and then they're good, and then they can they can go from there. And my piece was about how that's stupid and that's not going to happen because there isn't another Draymond Green out there. Um, because like th- th- this this idea that Draymond just suddenly became what he is is ridiculous to anyone who paid attention to his career. I mean, he, he's been the same player since high school. It's just that he didn't really fit into what basketball was at those times in his life. And then, like, once people once people kind of understood his game, they're like, oh, we could do something with this. And then he became a great player. And that's kind of, like, how his career has gone. It happened at Michigan State. He wasn't that great to begin with. And then Tom Izzo was like, oh, here's some stuff we could do with you. And then he became Big Ten Player of the Year. And then it happened with the, the Warriors. He was coming off the bench. And then they're like, oh, how can we use your skill set to, to make this happen? Um, so it's not like he was just, like, some bum who – couldn't really play that much and then just worked really hard and got into the gym and and all that kind of stuff and then suddenly became a great player uh he was the same player all along it was just you know people didn't really know what to do with him and his teams his teams always did well the one thing with him at michigan state the the obvious difference is just that he was heavier and in much worse shape that's very true yeah what was he like 25 pounds heavier i mean the rap on him coming out of in college i think I don't think I did that draft actually, but I remember the rap in college was uh, too fat, too short. Yeah, like he's an inch and a half too short. He's too fat. He's not in shape. He'll never stay in shape. He'll probably get fatter. And you know, to his credit, he got in awesome shape, and he also well, learned how to shoot. You know, he I guess, mean, from three. I, I guess the point to take away from that too is that it's not just his body type that has made him great. Like it's his intangibles, like. He was overweight, and he was still one of the best players in the country. And the reason why is because he is just insane. He's just like he's got a competitive spirit, unlike anything. Um, you know, like so some people love it, some people hate it, whatever. But he is just crazy about winning and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I that was kind of the point of the piece is that this idea that you can just plug in any six foot seven guy who with with long arms and just say like, hey, go be Draymond Green. Um, that's that's not going to work. <laughs> When he was shutting down LaMarcus Aldridge, I was thinking, like, there's got to be only him and Rodman in the in, Yeah. Maybe maybe Kevin McHale, because Kevin McHale could guard everyone from, like, Andrew Tony to Kareem. But the fact that Draymond can guard everybody from, you know, James Harden to LaMarcus Aldridge is insane. There's nobody yeah. in the league like him that has a bigger disparity of guys he can kind of shut down. But it's it's just so weird how people assume that you can just go pluck the next Draymond out of the draft. But I mean, of of course you should try to find the next Draymond. Like he's he's unbelievable. But like if you're gonna say that, why not try to find the next LeBron? Why not try to find the next Durant, the next Curry? I mean, like yeah, that's that's a really an enlightening thought. Go try to find a guy who can guard five positions and is the heart and soul of, of one of the greatest teams of all time. That's, that's what you should do. do. Go try to find that guy. <laughs> Good luck, Fred. There is a recurring theme, though, that, and I think this is the one thing that's been borne out, and this is, I think, why we both like Fox so much, that 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 higher level of competitiveness seems to translate pretty well. I remember yeah. I, 08, for some reason I watched a ton of basketball in 08, college hoops. I think that was the last year I really threw myself into it. And uh, I just loved Westbrook. And kept watching him because I was watching that year for love because, you know, Kevin Love was such a fun college player. 
And I remember watching Westbrook and just going, what's this guy? And then looking up his draft ranking and he was like 28. Yeah. You know, like, why is he 28? This guy's a freak. But it was it was the whole thing. of like, well, what position is he? He's not a point guard. What is he? And it's just like, you know what he is? He's just a really fucking competitive guy. And, it, yeah. and for once, the league actually overcorrected. Like, he went fourth, which even I thought that was insane. I liked Westbrook, but I had him earmarked like 8, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And OKC took him fourth. It's like, whoa, whoa, settle down. We don't know what position this guy is, but it was borne out. And competitiveness, usually that's a win, and that and that's the thing that scares both of us, I think, about Alonzo, just to bring it full circle. It's like, man, it bothers me that he didn't show up in that game. Maybe it's one yeah. game and you can't make too much of it, but right there, Fox is in the octagon with you. Then again, uh, Tyler Hansborough also exists, so we have to keep that in mind as well. <laughs> Tyler Hansborough is Yeah, so... Uh, hey, if you want to listen to more of Mark Titus, check out the uh, the Teed Up podcast on the Ringer University podcast. Yeah, we're doing once a week. We're we're doing draft stuff too. It's not all college. We just we talk more college stuff. Like we're Tate and I are more interested in like maybe the second round guys. The the you know like the the fact that like the three the three leading contenders for National Player of the Year this year, all of them are going to go in the late second round if they get drafted at all, and how that's just interesting to us. So we like talking about that sort of stuff. Did you see Tyler yeah, Eulis coming? Yes and no. Like I, I definitely thought he was too short and all that kind of stuff, but he was he was good as hell, man. He, I, I, I knew he had the skill and all that kind of stuff, but I, 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 I kind of believe too much in the uh, he's too short thing. I think if I could redo that one, I would, I would not buy into that as much. It was interesting that they took him partly because he was Devin Booker's buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and uh, and That's now the, it's turned into like you know it's that was one of the best picks of the last couple of years. Is is why why is this not a thing for a team that has no identity um, and has no direction or whatever? Just try to get as many Kentucky guys as possible and then hire Calipari and make that your thing. Why is this not a strategy? To be honest, I was wondering if Sacramento might do that. Yeah, if they try to get come out of uh, this draft with Monk and Fox, and then you already have Collie Stein there. You have Scal, although maybe Cal, Cal might not. Does he recognize Scal or no? Yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, you were in Kentucky. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. But, um, yeah, that might be a good direction for them. All right, Mark Titus, follow him on Club Trillion on Twitter and uh, and check out his Draymond Greenpeace on The Ringer. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks so much to SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. Don't forget to download the SeatGeek app today or go right to SeatGeek.com. Thanks to Harris. Don't forget to go to harris.com slash BS. And thanks to Delta, my favorite airline. Don't forget about Delta Studio. 1,000 hours of entertainment all from your seat back or your own device. 100% free podcast games, TV shows, up to 300 movies, access to HBO and Showtime shows, 18 channels of live satellite TV and select frights. Uh, you can even listen to your favorite artists with Delta's expansive music library, all streamable on your laptop, iPhone, iPad, Android, tablet, tablet device, via the GoGo Entertainment app. Buckle up, relax. Dive into a different world as you're on the Delta airplane. We'll be back on Friday. Sorry about the, uh, the hotel phone. I hope this one sounded better than it did yesterday, but we'll be back on Friday with another BS podcast. Go Delta.